Hello, and welcome to the e-commerce source podcast. My name is Andy Solhoff. I'm here with my friend and business partner, Tim McDougal. Tim, what is up today? My, my concern level about the holidays in Q4 because we're on the verge of that, right? So You know what? I, I felt a little extra pressure and I just there was something in the air about being in e-commerce where you just go, you know what? There's just kind of this lingering pressure, timeline. Everybody's, we're kind of hitting some more, you know, it's time get, time's getting closer here. This, this is the time of year usually when we've been saying uh, since June, hey, let's get prepped for Q4. And that some of our partners, who are all wonderful, um, now all of a sudden realize, hey, guys, we thought about what we're doing for, for Q4 right now for the holidays. Um, and, you know, and not that they've ignored the questions before, but now they go into panic of there's a list of 50 things that oh. need to be done for the holidays. And it's middle of September. So Q4 literally starts in two weeks. It's like, let me review this discussion guide from April. Yes. <laughs> Although we have some partners that are great at oh, it. That yeah. are, like, oh, yeah. like some of the ones... Um, I'm working, we've been working on it since May, very diligently for a while, like order curves. What's the item look like? What's the forecast on? So yep. it's, it's so exhaustively planned that the team is all wound up right now looking for, okay, what else can we do right now? And there's really, everything's, mm-hmm. everything's moving. So, and sometimes that's almost worse because you, you're just like, you're used to, you're kind of conditioned. Well, to you being know, like, it's coming. Yeah, um, exactly. Cause, cause on most of the pieces we work on and, and you know, we talk with all of our partners weekly, most things I, the weeks were this last week was a super stable week on everything. It was like, everything was up or, up or down 1%, right? It was nothing new, moved much week over week. And I, and I did say in one that, um, one of the meetings I led with, I'm going to jinx everything by saying <laughs> this is the most stable week we've had in like, you know, six months. Um, and I'm going to jinx everything, which means all hell is going to break loose over the next couple of weeks and it's going to become super volatile, which every time we've had one of those super stable uh, little windows uh, that, you, you know, know what? It's the, just... the gods of e-commerce correct for that uh, yep. very quickly, which I, which I expect to happen. So yep. I think I jinxed a bunch of things that, that I work on knowing that I, I, just, I just doomed them to weeks and weeks of heavy, crazy volatility. Yeah, well, we'll we'll Fine. see. Time will time Good. will tell on this. I mean, it's kind of inevitable once Q4 comes yep. around that things are going to be volatile. But so, so we'll if you've been prepping go. ahead and you've been doing, if you've been being a good e-commerce person, you've been prepping for Q4. If your products are at all holiday sensitive, which a lot most are, right? Um, then you've been prepping for Q4 for a while, um, or you should have been. If you're not, just say you are. Uh, and we've been talking about it again, as I said, since May. We've been talking through this with a lot of partners kind of going through on it. But there is a list of things that, you know, what can you still act on or what are still the issues outstanding? And this is the time of the year where that last, like the cold sweats come in of, have I thought of everything for the holidays? Is there something left unplanned? Uh, This is also the time when inventory gets shipped in. So that becomes a big concern. So what we want to do is do a quick podcast about what, um, what things should be on your kind of late late worry list, um, things that, things to look into, things to make sure you're set on for the holidays and for Q4 since you have to get, you know, for, for civilian populations, the holiday season isn't, yeah. isn't for a little bit longer, but if you're doing e-commerce or shipping stuff into Amazon, you're in, we're now entering the danger zone. We're now entering the, the high intensity period. Yeah. And I, I think something on this that I'm like, man, every year, it's like every year there's something different, but it's like, Every year, the market's a little bit different. Amazon's inventory yeah. policy is a little bit different. Um, how, you know, what what does consumer behavior look like? How are things? How are things been trending? You know, there's there's macro, um, there's macro sort of elements at play here that are going to make it slightly different. So, yep. best 
best laid plans from earlier in the year. We need to make sure that we're, we're really dialed in and ready to go. Sometimes the reason you plan is so that you have something you can change as circumstances change uh-huh. and you have to do it from scratch. So that, and that's yep. the case with a lot of times. Yep. So we're going to hit a bunch of topics here um, when we get into the Q4 stuff. One is you know the inventory capacity fears. If you're on Amazon, there's always those fears about what's Amazon's inventory policy going to be over Q4 because it always tends to change at the last second. Um, what are some approaches to forecasting or some tricks for that that we that we use that we're currently using? Um, there's some feisty Walmart.com noise from some sellers saying that they're uh, they're and they're kind of looking up at Walmart right now. Um, and then some quick thoughts on promotions and, and a couple other things. Uh, but uh, so that'll be episode 53, which is the one recording right now. So we're gonna go on that. Um, first though, Andy, something we don't normally do, but, but, you know, professional podcasters do, but first we're going to do a segment. Yes. We're going to do it. And, and we're going to do a quick segment and just some throwbacks. Cause there's some things that have happened that tie back to a very recent podcast we have. So I just want to hit quickly on, on a couple of these. Um, and, and we have three of them here, right. That we wanted to hit on one is, uh, in episode 51, which was just two weeks ago, we talked about our bold takes for 2023 or actually we talked about we back in back in last december we recorded an episode saying what are our bold takes for 2023 and then two weeks ago we said hey how are those doing and some were some we were accurate and some it was laughably off um and that's fine because we were trying to make bold takes but one was uh and Andy, you you were the one that was biggest on this but i agree with it too was that we'd see a big collapse in venture funded DTCs, so direct-to-consumer companies. And those, these are the companies that, I mean, you know, to avoid jargon, it's companies like the Pelotons and stuff like that that are out there. Peloton being one of the poster child of one that has done really well, but there's a lot of other... Allbirds. There was a big, to- yeah, Allbirds. There was a big wave of uh, venture-funded, like funding like a digital startup on uh, direct-to-consumer website products companies. Yeah. And that really, you know, took off during the pandemic, continued for a while afterwards, and then some of those started having tougher times. Uh, and part of the difference is just how product company scale is very different than how a digital app company or a SaaS company scales. Because, and, you know, on digital app companies or SaaS companies, you eventually reach zero cost of product and everything is just scaling at that. Everything's just marketing cost and acquisition and revenue at that point. Where product companies, your cost of product might not scale. In fact, it might get worse because you might order inventory doesn't sell and all of a sudden you were sitting on non-moving inventory and you have all these different issues. Um, and the cost of producing an Allbirds shoe or a Peloton bike only goes down so far. A purple right? mattress. And purple, uh, yeah. And not all these companies are in desperate straits. I mean, these are some of the ones that, that had some of the biggest they success. Were, they were the darlings, you know what I mean? They were the but, darlings. Yeah. So there was one of the other darlings and this was um, Lovesack. Which, which I, I laugh because you were laughing because I wasn't as familiar with them. So when I heard that Lovesack was the topic of this, that I had to go look to make sure I wasn't going to cite an example from a, <laughs> from a porn site. Um, but no, Lovesack um, had DTC backing got, and is still pretty big. But they're basically, I bet, described as giant hipster beanbags is what they started out as. And then moved into modular furniture when they got all the backing and really expanded. And, and it's nice stuff and nothing wrong with that. But their, their founder came out and said, because they're one of the ones that, okay, they grew fast, they got a lot of funding, and now it's a little bit more of a struggle. But I think they're probably selling fine. It's just the profit margins and what they're doing and the is scale, harder. The scale just And scaling is too, harder, yeah. right? So yeah. they're one of the ones that came out and said, hey, the bloom is off the rose kind of on DTCs. And 
And his reference was, "Hey, DTC used to be one of the hot buzzwords you'd put into a venture funding pitch, a venture, you know, to get to get funding for it. And it's no longer something that gets received like as a as a cool thing to have in there. And the interesting thing was he cited two other buzzwords that used to be the like instantly get funding and now have kind of uh, fallen in favor too, which was he quoted directly. It was uh, crypto and NFCs, NFT, uh, yep, NFTs. I'm sorry." Um, yeah, that would be purchase systems as opposed to <laughs> NFTs. But yeah, he he cited NFTs and crypto on that and said, you know, the same thing with those, partially because those words got used so loosely that they lost their meaning because yes. people used it when they weren't really crypto or NFT. Um, and some companies used it when they weren't really DTC. Um, and partially because the success of all those companies was kind of spotty at times. And some some did great, right? But a lot didn't pan out. Yep. And he was saying it's not toxic. It's not like you put that DTC in your pitch and everybody runs away, but it's certainly not a plus anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, just, he was just kind of going back on it that, that DTC has kind of become a bit of a dirty word and that if they were pitching for funding now, he wouldn't put that in there. They'd pitch going back to their more, they did have a more wholesale retail model before they got involved in the whole funding thing. And I thought that yeah. was just an interesting take on what we thought was happening with that whole DTC. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is kind of funny to me to think about, you know, Oh, we're, how are we going to make more money? We're going direct to consumer. That's how we're going to make all of our money. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then that people just pour in money and it's like, yeah. uh, you know, I think having a whole more holistic strategy for that in terms of brick and mortar and, and following the traditional channels, you know, yeah. you can't, that's why. That's why omni-channel is becoming is become a, a bigger that, buzzword. That's right. And omni-channel has been a big buzzword for a while, right? <laughs> yes. And also one of those words that loses its meaning because everybody talks omni-channel, and then if you look at what they're doing, omni-channel means uh, we're going to sell on Walmart and Amazon, and that's not, not really what Am- what omni-channel is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be everything. But yeah, and these I thought that was interesting from him saying that that they were going they would go back to more that maybe their original model, which was more of a traditional one, was was the better model to go with. They went heavily uh, to the, hey, we're going to cut out the middleman. We're not going to have to pay margins to wholesalers and distributors and retail stores because we're going to sell direct to the consumer. What happened to a lot of that is that then you the entire acquisition cost is on you. Mm-hmm. You got to bring in all the traffic. And I think there was a, there was a, and we're all in e-commerce, right? So, but there's sometimes a forgetfulness, especially during the pandemic of, that retail stores drove a lot of traffic and they mm-hmm. pull out and they spend a lot of money driving traffic in and you don't just eliminate being in a retail store and eliminate the retailer's margin and all of a sudden still get the traffic. You then have to invest extra to get the traffic in. And I think, uh, you know, as many companies jumped on that bandwagon, all of a sudden it got harder to differentiate and harder to pull the traffic and got really expensive to pull the traffic in. And it turned out, um, didn't always scale so well, especially if you make one or two bad bets on a product that you've produced a ton of, that don't move. Yeah. And I think that, so I think that the takeaway here is that, you know, this was a, again, a prediction that I think Tim and I both agreed with that the direct to consumer companies are going to potentially take a, take a bath and, and people are going to lose and and those businesses might go out of business. And we should clarify. It's not that we don't believe in direct to consumer. We do. And there's plenty of direct to consumer businesses thriving and there's a lot that we manage, but it's, it's the big venture funded ones of, Hey, we're going to invest in you and we expect you to hockey stick in growth and deliver a you know a hundred x return on our investment that really hasn't panned out because yeah. uh, product companies direct just don't scale that way oftentimes. So, right. and I think some of these companies are going to go on to be just fine, and they'll. And it's really just their their 
their acquisition costs and how they were acquiring yeah. business is that I think they're that was up, not sustainable. So how do they how do yeah. they become a profitable business? And and my prediction back again, we're going back almost eight, nine, ten months mm-hmm. ago now, was that there's going to be businesses that were not going to be able to sort of flip that switch and be able to generate yeah. enough profit to be a sustaining business. And, I think they're going to be. I think you're going to find some that yeah, they realize that. You know, they spent all they they got twenty million dollars in venture backing. They spent all that on ads, and now they're out of that cash, and they don't have more, and they can't make the business work. There's also going to be some, I think, that built their business up, and they're going to be good, profitable businesses, but they're not going to pay back their investors at any kind of multiple that the investors were looking for. Yep. So it'll be one of those. Okay, we're going to pay back our investors are going to get their money back out of it, and we're going to have a a bigger company, but not the kind of margins that would have given that return. Mm-hmm. And I think you're gonna I think you're gonna find a lot of them looking through how they're doing are going to end up in that camp too of, yeah. hey, we have a good business. It's bigger because of the investment, but the margins were never going to pay out the kind of multiples the investors were looking for. And that's why the bloom is off the road. And, the, and it's, it's important to always distinguish the, the fortunes of DTCs as businesses and their fortunes as investment uh, right. tools for, yes. for, for early stage investors, right? And what yeah. I think we're finding out is they weren't the great early stage investments for returns on those investments but they may develop into businesses that are very viable going forward on this. Absolutely. Number two on the quick takes, um, and this, I can refer back to any podcast because one of the things <laughs> we talked about is that AI is going to be used in everything. Yeah. Um, AI, everything. We, you know, we have to like obligatory mention of AI once per podcast at least. But Amazon Accelerate was earlier this week, and I still, because of things that, that we've been caught up with, haven't been able to go through all the presentations on that. But one of the first things that was announced was that Amazon launched a generative AI tool to write copy for listings. Um, and we actually started, I, I brought this up to our team and Rachel's like, oh yeah, I've been using that the last week. It's like, well, they just announced it this morning. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm the old guy who was behind the curve on it because three of our accounts that we manage, at least three that, I, that I've noted, were beta testers for this. Amazon, Amazon has been rolling this out. They were approved as beta testers and we actually tested it on one. And I think Rachel's take was, hey, it wasn't bad. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't bad at all. It actually was pretty good copy to start with. And it was fast. Um, the one buyer beware on that is Amazon's already said, hey, the, this AI tool can generate copy that will be a violation of terms of service <laughs> on Amazon and can get you banned. So oh, that's and funny. if you then publish the AI's copy and it has the things in there that get your, your listing banned, it's your fault as seller. So it is your responsibility to review the AI copy and make sure the AI didn't do things that get you banned. Yeah. And so which, there's that. that's a pretty big caveat. <laughs> which, let's be honest here, I think you and I have been on the same page with this with generative AI copy is that, oh, I, I know there are people out there that are just copying, pasting generative AI content. Yes. And they're, they're trying to just produce tonnage and stuff. I would never have, never have or never will recommend just straight publishing that uh, for e-commerce brands it needs an edit. It needs a review. So just like Rachel said, if it got it to you know eighty percent of the way there, and you have somebody looking at it and it's doing it at you know a, a quarter of the amount yeah. of time or a tenth of the amount of time, that's where you're. That to me is the bigger thing. Is I, that I think you can it, yeah. you can make better progress more quickly. But I don't. If you, you know. look at it, and this is how I've been advising people to look at it. Look at it like this is a free intern that's going to write a first draft, but then you have to yes. go edit it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, generative AI copy is fine because it's quick, like it gets you a start. But also if there are specific points that you know are important, the AI usually isn't. If there's distinguishing right. features about your business, like unless you're a great prompt writer, 
that's not going to be popped out in the copies. So even you if have you're, to go back even if you're a great prompt writer, yeah. you can tell it explicitly to feature this point and it can still not do it. You can still work. not do yes. it or so, you can realize, no hey, this is a big differentiating thing for us and we need to talk about it this way. So, And also, I, th- I think where the, where the warning is on where it could violate terms of service if the AI starts making claims about your product that aren't true. And especially if you're doing uh, personal care products, for example, on Amazon, this can be a big problem. <laughs> if can it's, it, what can it cure? <laughs> yes, this cures. Um, you know, this face cream now cures all these things, and and it's very possible for a generative AI to start writing those things because the they're looking at you know what's what would get searches. Well, if it cured this, it would give searches. So, um, so you have to watch for that, and that's that's the one thing I've seen the most, or it's better than this, or comparative copy that you can't back up. Amazon will come down in that. I think the biggest thing is claims, though. If the copy if the AI is making claims about your product, especially in personal care or supplements or anything like that, that you can't really firmly back up, Amazon will come down hard. The other one that we had, and this is from last episode, episode 52, we talked about hot takes that Parker from our team collected while he was at Etails Boston, which is a, one of the big e-commerce conferences of the year. And Parker on his own, which was great, ran around with a microphone and asked people for their hot takes as a way to make make friends and, and make contacts and everything else and network and recorded those. And then we, we kind of went through a bunch of them, which was great insight for what, you know, those kind of conference attendees were talking about. And a lot of them chose to talk about, Hey, I think the economy is going to get hot in Q4 or it's going to go down in Q4. Or we're going to have a better or worse holiday season and start to 2023. And there were people on either side of the fence on that. Um, one of the, and, and inflation, you know, inflation is going to hurt everything too, is a big topic. Uh, Adobe releases the its digital price index every month, right? They have a digital price index to score, and they they rate. I think it's a trillion transactions is what they said they go through. So, that, so it's pretty deep, right? And then they rate what the average price was, and they get, compare it versus a year ago, and just like the consumer price index, try and determine whether prices are going up or down. And what's interesting out of that, and and again, the overall tone from everybody on the overall um, state of the economy is that prices have been going up for a year. Uh, Adobe's digital price index says that actually for products bought online, and so this is a narrow segment of the overall economy, right? Um, prices have been declining. This is this marks the, this was a milestone, they said, for August of the 12th straight month, so a full year of year-over-year price declines. Um, and it differs by category a lot. Uh, computers were way down, electronics are way down, sporting goods are way down. For those who buy groceries online, those were up. Uh, and nobody buys their gas online for their car, but gas is up in the broader economy. Just doesn't it, that doesn't affect at all the digital pricing index. But that was a surprise for a lot of people, even though we've been kind of seeing those numbers for a little bit. Andy, what was your take on that? Seeing that we've had this. Um, oh, I'd also said that online prices had a forty-month low in August. Was the other note on that? That was also interesting. Something that I've been kind of wondering on this is that. You know, in in this heavily Amazon marketplaces driven, you know, I, I would imagine that Amazon is driving a good portion. They're yeah, they said tr- they say trillion. things like um, Prime Day does influence this index. Prime Day is big enough that it that August actually moved up slightly month over month from July because of Prime Day. If you take Prime Day out, August actually dipped a little bit from July, but Prime Day had a big enough effect to move the numbers. Well, and and sort of the. The continued proliferation of Amazon as a marketplace is making uh, sellers be much more price react or price 
they're not price setters as much as they are responding to what's going to get them sales. Yeah. And so that's and Google Shopping has a similar impact as well. And so it kind of makes me wonder of what basically what's happening and the, the overarching thing here is that good news for consumers is that consumers are able to find better deals on things. So they're buying things online that are that are cheaper. Um, and so that's that's kind of my take on it is that the marketplaces and and just the mm-hmm. way that everything is so competitive now, you have lots and lots of sellers of lots and lots of products. So you don't have as many people who are saying, I'm going to maintain price, even though I feel like... Yeah. Uh, and, and it's possible that prices you know, in 2020, 2021 spiked too much, right? Like yeah. if that's, you know, retailers mm-hmm. are trying to get too much out of I'm, their dollars I'm going to reach around and break my arm, pat myself on the back on this one. Because <laughs> I was talking with a lot of folks because we had in 2021, remember we had Shipageddon, right? The whole shipping industry collapsed and prices for everything... Um, Sword for a while, people couldn't get inventory and sword because product was hard to find. So on the secondary market, products all went up uh, and it just got hard. We had shortages of goods and everything and stuff was stuck overseas. And then everything kind of came in. And my, my call to a lot of our partners was, hey, I think we're going to see through um, and, they, and shipping kind of freed up midway through 2022. And I think we're going to see for Q3 and Q4 2022, we're seeing a glut of goods. We're going to see too much product for from Q3, market. Q4 2023, correct? For this no, year? No, no, for 2022, I was calling this last year. Oh, yes. That we're going yes. to see a glut okay. of markets hit and we're going to see gradual price pressure down mm-hmm. because of that was my fear. And that I wasn't alone. I was, you know, there's other people who were saying that too, but that I was fearful we're going to have too much product and that people are going to need to clear it out because they won't be able to make money for next year's order until they sell some of this. They're going to be yep. desperate to move it and convert it to cash. Um, and that, you know, all this glut of stuff that happened during the pandemic, manufacturers in China, for example, built extra capacity. All of a sudden they had excess. By mid-2022, it became clear that they had excess capacity in a lot of places um, where before they were over capacity. So, um, and that's kind of, that's kind of when this decline in pricing, I, w- I wasn't looking at this pricing index then. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as aware of it then, but that's kind of when this drop started. So yep. I'm going to reach reach away. I'm going to actually, you know, strain a muscle, pat myself on the back saying that actually looks like it kind of happened. But but that was my fear then was we're going to see downward pricing pressure. Um, and while it's good for consumers and it's helped, you know, it helps get sales because you have to down, you know, in some cases to get your velocity up, you need to drop sales. It's It has put pressure on margins as well. Because yep. if you're, if the market price, and this also has to do with so much of the products sold online or sold through marketplaces where pricing gets very competitive. Yep. Um, I think the other cost I, of goods did not drop as much as the prices dropped has been I, the issue there. And I know when talking with one of our clients, they referenced, um, especially this year here in 2023, that the brand manufacturers are going off map earlier this year than what they have done in previous years. So they're actually cutting prices. So they used to do maybe, uh, you know, way end of summer, like after Labor Day, they would wait to cut prices on, you know, apparel or whatever. But now they're doing it in in August. So they're doing it a month early. And they're doing it before they're letting anybody else do it. So which means that the the manufacturers may have sort of a, a glut of inventory kind of to your point here. So yeah, I still I don't think we've worked through it. I think it's yeah. still it was so bad. And, and people were kind of forgetting how bad it was in 2021, just running out of product all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think we're still working through the glut that started, that really started, it started coming back over, over the freight in late 2022. So late Q3, and then really kind of was going to hit late Q3 and into Q4 was when all of a sudden, and that's also when, remember we had the 
the ship the freight yards or the shipping ports were built yeah. up and they were having huge problems with like the stacks are getting too high the stacks of containers are getting so high they could topple and it's a actual danger like to be in the shipping ports right now and that's kind of cleared through as well but but that was you know less than a year ago that we were kind of entering that that phase of now the stuff was coming over and it was coming over from overseas so much that it was backing up in the ports and then that led to last winter you couldn't find trucks so we had there was a freight you know ground freight shortage last winter that caused problems for some of our partners and that's because they were all trying to clear stuff out of the ports so mm-hmm. um we're still kind of i think we're still seeing the effects of that inventory glut hit right now of people trying to clear through stuff because they need to get the cash flow back out of it and um i don't know how long it continues um it seems like it's going to continue for a little bit longer yeah but it all this all dates back to all the things that happened during the pandemic yeah and and all the the weird things that happened then so those were our topics there uh those were kind of some you just want to refer back to things we brought up so let's let's get into things about q4 and we've talked a lot about q4 in the past but these are the things that we listed that hey these are still things to be thinking through right um so let's start with everybody's favorite sexy topic which is inventory management yep our, our one of our big sexy to actually actually it's it's super important even though we make fun of it because if you go to a party and say yeah what'd you work on today and i start saying i worked on inventory management and forecasting and people like they're asleep oh, before oh, i can finish the sentence <laughs> right. right um you know if i talk about some other crazy thing in e-commerce they i might get some interest but if i talk about inventory like yeah, that's out of kill a party right there. Yeah, yep. pretty good party kill. If I want, if I want to be able to leave and go home early from a Friday night event, that's <laughs> I just start talking about inventory controls. Yeah. Um. So this is not about like, hey, produce your inventory for the holidays because we're hoping you've already produced your holiday inventory yeah. at this point. It, yep. It's really late. If you're ordering from overseas, you're out of luck. But if you're producing internally, if you're a manufacturer producer, you're, you still have some time. But Right now, you should know what you're producing and be deep into your production runs and ideally finish with your producing your supply for Q4, right? Yeah. So really talk about how much should you be sending in right now? And there's a lot of d- discussion and debate with selling. This is a very active topic if you're selling on Amazon. You know, if you've kind of worked through your Q4 forecast, how much should you be sending in now and how much should you wait on? And this is based on a couple of concerns, right? One is, Hey, we know shipping receiving backs up at Amazon at a certain point. So if you wait too long, it can go to the docks and sit in the docks for two weeks and you don't get to sell it for the holiday season. Yep. So you don't want to wait too much. And also you don't know what the demand curve is going to look like. Like how much is it going to accelerate? So you don't want to ship in everything right now because if you're if your demand curve soft, you're gonna have a ton of extra product, but you don't want to wait too long either. You need to be there when the sales start coming through. Yeah. And I think this is I think the the point we were just talking about with you know pricing and and how prices have decreased in the last you know 12 months uh, online i think it's important to have that as context as we're thinking about inventory because uh you know what our pricing was last year and what our pricing will need to be this year is is very is a very yeah. relevant to the to the topic of inventory i don't know if going to get into it a ton but uh, i do realize that you know obviously uh, you know how, how we price our items is is and how quickly we th- move through inventory are very very yeah. related. And so we should say first, it's going to differ by what situation your product is in. So you know, different scenario. You can have a product that has no seasonality, but most most do, right? If you have a product that has no seasonality and just flat lines right through November and December and doesn't move up or down, then you don't need to worry about all this. But you can have most 
most folks are worried about, you know, demand, not worry, but they know demand is going to peak up in November and December and they need to plan for it. So you can have a product and we have a couple different ones. So there's not like one rule that fits all, but we have things that are, that we manage that are, I would call like hyper seasonal, meaning they're goods that if they aren't sold by Christmas, they're not going to sell. <laughs> and how do you manage those? Because there's a very short uh, peak where they'll start moving up and then they're going to, they're going to keep moving up right until Christmas day. And then they're going to just going to fall through the floor. And if you haven't sold them, then, then you have to worry about how to get them back. There's products that are winter seasonal and we have a lot of those as well. We're just trying to manage how do you make sure you have enough in there so when the big spike hits, when the first cold weather hits and things, yes, how do you make sure you have enough? Winter seasonal, winter not, seasonal not as opposed to holiday seasonal, right? Yep. So there's different things to manage it. Um, for a lot of the ones that are strictly holiday seasonal, um, you know, how we've been managing it, usually it will say get, get 10% in by the start of September has been the plan. Like if it's strictly mm -hmm. holiday seasonal, get about 10% of the inventory, just so every listing has some inventory. And then you can start building up a little bit of demand curve. You can start building up your ranking before the holiday. You spend a little bit of ad dollars on it. You know, we're generally spending for September for goods that are strictly holiday seasonal. You know, it's one to 3% of your holiday ad budget. It's not a lot, but it's enough. The goal there is nobody else is spending. Mm -hmm. There are searches. There are people who are buying their Christmas goods now. Yes. So you get in now and you soak up those searches and they're not super efficient because a lot of people are window shopping and not buying yet. But you're not spending a lot. And if you get some early sales when nobody else is active, you can get your rank built up ahead of them. And so, yeah, for things like that, get 10% of it now just so you have active inventory. It doesn't bend your, you're not overstocking. But then it's, you know, by the start of November, you want 30 to 40% of your inventory in there. November or October? By the start of October. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, that's what by I was the start say. of October, I yes. spoke wrong there. You know, get 30 to 40% of your inventory in place, knowing that if you try and wait, the, 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 big, the big ramp in the curve doesn't really hit till November. Yep. But if you wait till late November and you're dealing with everybody else sending stuff at the last second for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you're dealing with the Amazon docs just getting backed up. Get at least thirty to forty percent in by start of October, and then another shipment after that. I mean, you want pretty you want quick. most of your inventory into place before you hit November. Yeah, and you may hold some back depending on it, so you can kind of read demand and see how it's going. But you really want most of it in place before November starts. Yep, and I think this is it's a good point because if you're listening to this podcast right now, you still have a little bit of time to get those shipping uh, plans created, get product picked up. If you're doing LTL pallets to, to Amazon, you have a chance to get those in the system here in September. And like Tim said, we're advising 40% um, is, a, is a good number for October 1. October right? and, 1. Then, and then get the bulk of it in during the rest of the month of October. And ideally, if it's, if it's Christmas seasonal, like you want to have, you want to be at the 70, you know, what you projected for the holiday season, you want to be at 70 or 80% by the time you hit November 1. Yeah. And you're only waiting because you don't want to just pay for the extra inventory cost or, or screw up your inventory counts at Amazon where, yeah. where Amazon says you're just, you're, you're way overweight, right? Um, but if you get 30 to 40% in at the start of October and the stuff you're shipping for November 1 gets caught in receiving a little bit, you still have those goods to kind of carry you through. So, um, you know, we look at that heavily and it varies. Um, and we're also looking heavily at, and this was a good discussion we had um, with Dana the other day, and Dana, who was on a couple podcasts ago from Dino, of, hey, when should we, how long should we keep shipping by freight? Because freight's more efficient and mm -hmm. lower shipping cost. And then when do we entirely switch to, we're going to ship small parcel? 
Um, and small parcel, more expensive uh, per unit, so it hits your margin more. But we've had many issues in the past with a lot of our sellers on once you get in the throw to the holiday season, you may schedule a freight pickup and it might just not happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only so much freight pickup capacity. It schedule It might be scheduled for, yeah. for delivery and then Amazon mm-hmm. doesn't have the staff to actually we're, receive it. Where so. small parcel will go. Yep. So at a certain point, and it's kind of, hey, are we getting into like, once we get in November, is it all small partial, for example, or is, or is it a little bit later? But once we get late October, are we switching entirely to small parcel? So yeah, um, it's basically, it, and it's a lookout for, don't get caught on the, hey, we're going to ship in this by freight and pallet because it's cheaper and it's November and all of a sudden it's been waiting two weeks on your docks because they keep on moving back the pickup date and you're not going to have product in place in time for the holidays all of a sudden. and at some point you make the switch to go all small parcel instead of yeah yep something that as we're talking here do would it make sense for us to calculate like what date do we did last year did we sell 50% of our inventory yes and say like okay we sell 50% of our inventory for one of these these products by November 23rd or something mm-hmm. you know what i mean it, by by the yeah, saturday after multiple christmas multiple ways to approach it like and and i'll reference i'll reference Dana again cuz she was on this podcast a couple of weeks ago but um they have that team and we work on these two intense super detailed spreadsheets on exactly when the demand curves hits for each category they sell mm-hmm. and when we sell this much of the inventory how much it moves through how much lead time we need to put to make sure it's in place in advance. Yeah. And it's a very sophisticated, detailed process that even though I'll say it's very sophisticated on our calls, it's like, do we have this right? We, you know, we're kind of winging these parts of it, but it's yeah. super detailed and there's a lot of thought put into it. Yeah, And, and for things that are smaller, yes. like um, Grown-Ass Banco, which is you know, a great little business that we also own and run. Um, but we'll just look at it basically and say, okay, we can look at past years. You know, our, our November sales rate is X percent bigger than our normal sales rate in our because that's that's a good gifting product and moves well during the holidays. And our December rate is say two X or three X of our normal monthly rate. So we're just kind of blocking it out very basically like that and making sure we have enough inventory in place. Yeah. But that's not a super seasonal. It's you know it's not right. like if we have goods, if we overestimate a little bit, which we'll do yeah. to make sure we we'd rather overestimate inventory heading into the holiday on those because okay, if we stocked up too much, we'll still sales don't stop in January. Yeah, we keep on selling January and February. We just won't ship in as often going forward. But for those, like if you're selling super seasonal goods, you want to make sure that you're almost out of inventory by the time you hit December 21st, mm-hmm. and shipping kind of shuts off. If it's just a winter seasonal, that's an that's a different thing. Yeah, and and that's kind of seeing like understanding the spike is like how high does it spike? Like if if you're say say if you sell 50 percent of your inventory by like I said uh, Thanksgiving weekend mm-hmm. or whatever. That's a very different curve than yeah. what it is if you're if you sell fifty percent of your product by like December thirteenth or fourteenth. And, in that and that's a more likely curve, right? Because yeah. usually we'll see the start of November. I mean, you see a little bit of lift for holiday traffic in October, but it's very small. And then you see the start of November; it's a little more noticeable. But you really don't see the big oomph until middle of November. Usually is when it all of a sudden is like, okay, now now the game is yep. Now the game is on. Now it's intense. And if you have product in stock, that'll go up and then it'll really spike during Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. But then what most people forget is they think that's the big weekend. Everything slows down. It's like, no, there's a little bit of a dip after that. But the sales in mid-December are higher than Black Friday, Cyber Monday for a lot of things that we work yes. on. Um, and mid-December is bigger. That's just the kickoff to when the curve ramps up high. 
And if you have product in stock, you're going to keep on selling for things that we have that are like giftable products. Those will keep peaking as long as we have them in stock right up until December 21. Mm-hmm. Um, so they until don't the shipping cutoff. Yeah. yeah. Till the shipping cutoff hits where you can't get it by the holiday more, but they will keep on ramping. Never underestimate the ability of, of our consumers to wait to the last minute to buy Christmas gifts. I mean, <laughs> let's see here. Christmas is on a Monday this year. So yeah. I mean, Technically, you got you got Thursday, Friday, the twenty first, twenty second could be sort of shipping cutoff. Yeah. Amazon will start announcing it. Amazon, yeah. Amazon will announce soon, and UPS for if for your Shopify store. So I'm not talking non marketplace. UPS will start announcing its here's your guaranteed ship by Christmas dates, which are usually around the fourteenth or fifteenth. Um, is when UPS and US Postal Service will announce that their cutoff date. If you want to make hundred percent sure people are going to get stuff by the holiday. Amazon's runs really late. They've run it right up to the 22nd some years in the past. Um, and they'll announce that. If they haven't announced it already, they've, they'll announce it soon. Um, yeah, but it's, it's really make sure you have goods in early. I think the, the key things are, you know, map out your past curves. Do as much detailed work as you can on that. Make sure goods are in there early and you leave extra time because stuff's going to get stuck in the docks. Um, you could, if you're shipping freight, get all your big freight shipments out even earlier because Sometime, yep. sometime soon, we're in September now and people are, people are getting all their Black Friday, Cyber Monday stock in there. Some point in the, in the not too distant future, you're going to start seeing freight companies push back their pickup dates. And we've already seen that a little bit for some of our partners. We've seen freight companies say, oh, we didn't pick up this day. We need to reschedule. And uh, we're already seeing a little bit of strain on the freight capacity uh, going on. Yep. Yep. So it's definitely a fun time of the year. And um, something I wanted to ask your question on, but uh, question about Tim was, uh, how are you, you know, for for products that got kind of lopped off because of inventory policies last year? Yes. How are you forecasting those? So we have a lot of discussion on this because we had um, last year, sure, buddy members, and this gets to our next minor thing on this was, is Amazon going to screw us again this year in inventory policy? But last year, so this year, let's let's cover first, like inventory right now for this year, Amazon. After a little scare where they didn't issue forward inventory projections of what your caps would be at the start of September, this of, week they announced August, them. Yep. This week August, they, September, yeah, this yeah. week they put out uh, October and November forecasts for what your inventory cap's going to be. And they weren't bad. I mean, it, it, what surprised a lot of people was that November was lower than October, which that caused a stir of, yeah. wait, you're dropping our cap in, in, in November when we really need it. But in most cases, like everything we looked at, we looked at and said, yeah, but the inventory we think we're going to need is still well under that cap. We think yes. we're fine, right? Yes. Even though it was odd to see November go down from October, in many cases, like the cap, like our actual usage of inventory is, you know, like 20 to 35% of the cap right now. Yeah. And the cap goes up in October, then comes down a little bit in November, but we're still, even if we're doubling or tripling our inventory capacity, we still should have enough if those forecasts hold. Yeah. And I, I looked at that and I was actually encouraged because I'm like, you know what? Yes. Uh, if they're reducing it for us and we've seen it on all of our partners that we that uh, we have access to, they're doing it across the board. It actually means they're being maybe a little bit more conservative and giving people a sense hope. That, that we're not going to get screwed. I'll caveat this <laughs> yeah. by saying last year we said, Hey, it looks like Amazon's, Amazon has fixed its inventory problems and we're going to be okay. And we thought that all the way up to the first or second week of October when they cut everybody's inventory capacity in half yeah. because they had missed on 
face of the fall prime event, they had missed their forecast on how much product would flow through and all of a sudden realized they needed to drop everybody's cap. And at that point, for a lot of our partners, we couldn't ship in goods anymore. The caps were lower last year. Um, but we also were frozen and couldn't ship in product. And we had, you know, best sellers that were running out and we couldn't ship in new because we were over the cap. So I will say it feels better, but I'm always worried. Oh, for last sure. Year, for sure. Last year, Lucy pulled the football away from Charlie Brown <laughs> in the in, right around like it was October 8th, if I remember right, or yeah, something like 15, that. So yeah. we're not there yet. We're still in the uh, we can still get you phase, although it looks promising right now, but I I. Don't want to jinx things by saying have we that. See, have we seen a, an official date for Prime Day, Fall Prime Day? I've seen October. I That's have not I've seen an official date yet. We're in mid-September, and we have not seen... I've heard early October, um, but I have not seen a date. And I'm looking out for that right now. So if one got announced, it was announced like today, because as of yesterday, there was no official date on it. Um, so that that's the whole... That's the... So when Andy's talking about, you know, how do you forecast with that? Because we had things that... Got lopped off. Things that got lopped off that would have sold a lot more. That if you look at the, and we had to go back on a lot of things with our partners that are pretty sophisticated, how they model that of saying, okay, here's what did sell. Now here's what, here's what we think sales should have been. So, um, you know, on one, there's a very good sheet that says, well, here's what the sales curve was in actuals. Now here's it remodeled to say if we had matched like prior year's curves and been able to continue sales through. So here's what we think we could have sold if we hadn't lost the ability to ship in product. And you have to take that into account because if you just look at that, if you were one of the companies that had problems of your inventory, all of a sudden you were, you were under the cap and all of a sudden you woke up the next day and you were way over the cap and couldn't ship in product and missed holiday sales, which is a huge portion of the seller base last year. Um, then looking at last year is not going to give you the best forecast. Yeah, um, You're so, going to be underestimating your best sellers. So you're essentially, you're going to go back to the top sellers and look at basically re sort of forecast the We've demand curve We've had to remap the curve yeah. for like manually remap the curve of last year's data based on what we think would have sold, which we're using prior year data to kind of influence that so we're not just guessing. Mm-hmm. But we've had to go back and really kind of rework that saying if we had all product available, what we were sold. Yeah. Um, and that made it a messier process, right? So you yeah. do have to kind of take that into account. We're adding layers onto this that, yeah, it's, yes. it's tough, right? Because how do you, how do you make sure like 50% of what, 40% of what by, yeah. you know, October 1st? Yeah. And if you don't, and if it's, if it's a winter seasonal product, like it's not strictly Christmas where it drops off, then the leave yourself a cushion. Is the go and and shipping early and 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 again yeah there's more inventory penalty costs at Amazon if you're over inventory this year but knowing all the delays that happen with both freight if you're doing LTL or at the receiving docks of Amazon even if you're doing small parcel shipments in you want to just get stuff in there early and make sure you have product it's the cost of being out of product is way higher than any extra inventory costs if you like I'm gonna add I'm gonna add twenty percent on my estimate just because I want to make sure I have cushion. The extra you're paying for inventory fees for that is really small compared to being, yeah. I underestimated I ran out of product and now I'm not selling anything. Yep. So you do that. So other quick topics hit real quick on this. So we want to talk about, uh, there was some buzz in an analyst report caused this about analyst report and then some follow-up uh, comments from big sellers saying that, uh, that Walmart was where they were putting more of their money than usual this Q4 um, compared to Amazon. Um, and the Amazon's still the big gorilla, right? Amazon's still many multiples bigger than Walmart. 
but they were shifting more dollars than they would normally shift over to Walmart on that. And there were some big sellers commenting on this. Um, and there were a couple issues in place there. One was that they believed that Walmart, from an advertising standpoint, was underbought. So there's kind of an arbitrage standpoint of if I have, you know, if I have dollars left in my budget, some of those might go farther on Walmart because I'm not competing with other sellers as much. To, and we saw ad prices go way up in Q4 last year on Amazon. Not as much on Walmart. So I think they're looking at that data and saying, you know, dollar bang for my buck. You know, I might get a little bang, better bang in the past mm -hmm. than I've gotten in the past from Walmart because of this yeah. overbought on Amazon issue that happened last year. Like over, ads were overbought. Um, so there's a little bit of arbitrage in your ad dollar, which is just smart. Like how do I get the best return on my dollar? The other is um, there were a lot of comments about how the larger sellers feel that Walmart has improved its placement on ads and the types of ad formats it's adding that are, they're more similar to Amazon is really what's happening is what we're seeing on Walmart. Um, but also, and I've seen this a lot, um, is I see Walmart much more active retargeting me off of Walmart now than I ever have. Used yeah. to always seen Amazon. Like I, if I, cause I'm like, like Andy, we're both on the platforms all the time on the marketplace. So we get retargeted with all kinds of stuff. And so if a platform is retargeting you, we see it. Yeah. And very used to having Amazon trail me around the web and show display ads or when I search show uh, Amazon listings as search results that you may want to go back and look at this product again. Have very rarely seen Walmart do that until recently and I'm seeing Walmart very active on that front right now. Yeah. It opens up so many more impressions where you know maybe your ad dollars or you know Walmart's they're trying to get the ad dollars, right? That's that's a huge revenue generator yeah. for opportunity for Walmart. So seems like a really, really smart decision if that's a, a you know strategic one on Walmart's part to, you know, really yeah. kick that up a notch. And I still believe Walmart's ad platform is not as sophisticated as Amazon's and has some big gaps still. But I think this was an overall vote from a, at least a lot of sellers, at least the ones that were quoted in some of the articles, saying, you know, Walmart's made some progress on this and they've gotten They've gotten, they've made enough progress that we're going to slide a few more dollars in there because, yeah, we want to trigger those retargeting now. That's something that we didn't see was a big value in Walmart. But now if Walmart's going to pay for retargeting ads, just like Amazon does, well, that makes it a little more attractive for a little, little bit bigger pool of the dollars. Uh, and if, and if I can get, you know, if my cost of getting my advertising cost of sale on Walmart is maybe a little lower because Amazon's ad price is inflated and that's not Amazon purposely inflated. It's because there's more competition. more, more competition for those clicks. Then maybe I should be a little more on Walmart. It's not like I'm going to put all my money on Walmart and take it all out of Amazon, but it's, it's one of those, Hey, if I was putting 10% of my holiday budget on Walmart before compared to Amazon, maybe I'm moving that up to 15 this year. Or if I was putting 15 before, maybe I'm moving up to 20 or 25. There was a lot of comments along that. So any take, I mean, so there's a lot of there's a lot of people commenting that any take from you, Andy, on is that real? Is it not? We still have lower conversion rates on Walmart than on Amazon in general. So there's still things to struggle with there. Yeah, that's when I was reading this. You know, before the show, I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's great. The analysts are predicting this. These large sellers are saying that they're going to do this. But how does this impact a seller who's doing, say, less than ten million dollars a year? Right. So if you're doing, say, you're doing ten million a year, you're you're even if you have Walmart in the mix, you're probably not doing more than a million mm -hmm. uh, on that. And yeah. so you go, okay, well, how does that impact my product mix? Is there the opportunity to to have that be a bigger, 
bit of the sales. And I, I, it's always a, it's a struggle to balance what the analysts are saying versus how does this apply yes. to my business. And I don't have a great like, here's how no, and you that's can that's part of my it. color to it too because we work with a lot of small and medium sized businesses, and the analysts generally base their reactions off of the large right. enterprise scale businesses, and you know the advertising world they see is a little bit different than what a small to medium sized business sees. And especially yep. for what I see on Walmart, there's some things you get if there's some things that if you are an enterprise level seller that you get mm-hmm. that you don't get if you're small to medium sized. And I would say at least in my and I I'm open to somebody who wants to say I, I have this off. But to me the difference in being a small to medium versus an enterprise on Walmart is a little more harsh. There's a few more things that are taken away. Uh, on Amazon, there's things like you're not participating in the DSP if you're really going to big scale, if you're yeah. a small to medium-sized business. Yep. Um, but the DSP is really, I mean, at a small to medium-sized business, that's that's inefficient. That's only if I have more yes. dollars to spend than traffic I can find. So I'm not as worried about that. That doesn't feel like I'm being penalized for being a small to medium-sized business. On Walmart, things like their minimum daily cap per campaign, and they have some things that make it feel like if you're a small business, you're somewhat penalized. For some of, and some of our partners spend enough for like that's not a factor, but others, others that's a very real thing that makes Walmart just less efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the other thing they brought up too is it, it was an report that was that Walmart and Walmart said a couple like two years ago that they were going to try and link online sales and in store sales together and report on that together and show how they work together with each other. And that's their big advantage versus Amazon. And that was met with, I think, a dual reaction of like, well, if you guys can do that, that's awesome. We don't think you can do that. <laughs> we don't yeah. think you'd be able to tie it together. Yeah. Um, but they've started releasing things in their back end that uh, they're reporting, if you dive into it, that say, well, this ad actually caused a sale in store over here. Yeah. Uh, and they featured on their listings, hey, if you want to pick this up in store, you can pick it up and save a lot of money because we're not going to put the shipping fees on, you know, so you, yep. you can get it cheaper if you want to drive over and to the store near you and faster. And, um, and I think there's some recognition of, hey, wait, we're getting part of the extra bang we're getting for our ad dollar on Walmart is that in-store piece. And now Walmart's trying to report better on the in-store piece. Yeah. And they can actually see it. So I think that's part of the influence as well on there. Yeah. And that's always going to be an advantage they have over Amazon. What Amazon's advantage is, is they have, you know, six times the traffic that Walmart's going to have. And on some categories, A lot 20 more. to 30 times the traffic, right? Right. right. Um, and so that's always going to be the Amazon advantage on that. Um, last topic here. We just wanted to cover real quickly, and we're running low on, we're running long on time, so let's hit this real briefly. But promotional things, because this is usually where the last second panic conversation sits of like, what's our promotional plan for Q4? And it's like, this is, this is usually one of, of the, hey, guys, we've been wanting since May or June to get a promotional plan for Q4 down. Um, but there, that's usually a last minute, hey, what else can we do for Q4? Like even, even partners that say, Hey, we want to go very conservative, get caught up in the, get caught up in the spirit of it. And now want to go deeper on the holidays. So I'll just rattle off some quick tools, but then let's talk about which ones people should look at. If you're this kind of late in the game, there's always just raise your media budget. Right. But, um, there is the fall prime event. If you haven't enrolled in that, you can't enroll in it, but that's coming up at some point in early October to be determined. Um, Now, if you're not enrolled in it, which is, you know, you get featured on Amazon is going to feature your product as part of the fall prime promotion. You can still discount though. And you can still talk about, do you want to take extra advantage of that and maybe put a little more ad dollars in there if you want to get that kind of, and and remember if you're advertising, then people are looking for discounts. If you're going to advertise and not put a big discount on, I wouldn't increase your budget that much. Um, But you can still 
do things like that. And you can still reach out if you have an email list, say, hey, we're putting our products on sale that day. People are in a mood to buy. So if you're not in Prime, I think there's still opportunity. And we're going to try this in some of our own products, right? We're going to put discounts on there, even though they weren't eligible for Prime. Um, Andy, what's your take on that? Should you be, if you're yes. not in the fall Prime event, should you be doing yes. some discounts anyways? Yeah. I would say 100%. Uh, based on the the summer Prime event, I think you could do a 15% or maybe a 20% uh, discount yes. off of. And, and some of this is is timing dependent as well because uh, if we're going to be do if we know we're going to be doing discounting in late November or or December, I want to make sure that there's enough time between price cuts, right? Yeah. I want to um, make sure that we're not uh, doing a you know twenty percent discount now, and then we try to do a twenty percent discount later, and then Amazon says, well, it's not really a twenty percent discount because you ran this, you ran a twenty yeah, percent yeah. discount too too recently. So, but yeah, I, I do. I, I I think that finding the right strategy of having uh, not in your entire product catalog discounted, but specific items that get traffic to listings that convert really well, I think is, is yeah. good. And, you know, and again, we generally look at our budgets and that budgets are the other part to talk about on that day. Right. So, um, we generally make sure our budget caps have more room because traffic's going to be up. So if traffic's going to triple on prime days, okay, make sure you're, if you can, we just raise all the caps in the budget. Do we remember that the numbers from last year fall prime? I was the a actual number dud, was. So I don't know. I don't remember. It was, it. it was kind of a dud for sales on fall. So this is more summer prime and increases by that. We're hoping fall prime isn't the dud it was last year. Yeah. Um. But we'll do things for fall prime. Of like we'll just move our daily budget caps for those two days only for those two days up. We'll just double them, mm-hmm. right? And make sure that for extra traffic coming in that we can still reach it because there's people coming in with a high mood to buy. I mean, when people yeah. come to that site on that day. The conversion rates on Amazon are much higher those days. So if people are coming there, they're coming there because they're in a mood to buy stuff. And yeah, move your ad budget. Make sure your product's a little bit visible and give a little discount. You don't have to go super deep. This is yeah. not a go 40% deep like the old Prime stuff, but go mm-hmm. 50%. Give them a reason when they get there to say they're getting a deal because they're ready to buy. Um, the other thing I want to make sure people take advantage of, and we won't get into whole like Black Friday. We might do something later on like whole promotional patterns for that. But the other thing to take advantage of now leading into this is if you have enough velocity and you've, you've put a storefront page up there and you've gotten some followers and you enabled the whole Amazon uh, emails tool that come yes. on there to come live on yes. your account, get enabled in your account, go look in there. Um, and this is on internal promote. I don't have the menu path in front of me, but, uh, but you have the ability to reach out directly to not just your customers and followers, but also people who have looked at your listings but not bought, people who haven't bought in a while. Amazon will segment this out for you now if you have enough transactions. Yes. Brand cart brand cart abandoners within the ninety last ninety days, customers that are at risk or potential new customers, high spend customers, promising recent customers or repeat customers. I think any yeah. one of those could be a nice little segment of of your customers to go back to during this. And give a little offer yep. to get them back in and get them yep. re-engaged for the holiday. So you know, because the the beauty of this is these are people that may not have bought your product before. And, and if you're if you're a smaller seller, you might not have the velocity to enable all these different segmentations to, to show. Some of our smaller sellers we work with, all they have is well, here's your followers and past purchasers. Yep. But fine, if it's holiday season, we'll send something out to our followers and our past purchasers saying it's holiday season. Come back for more. Come back for more, right? Um, on uh, on partners that have a lot more velocity we work with, you'll see things like. Here's the people that abandon their cart, which are great targets to go to. Here's people who browsed your listing. 
here's people who have not looked at your listing, but Amazon thinks match really well. So they're, they're high potential buyers. Um, there's all kinds of segments out there and it's, this is a perfect smart time heading into the holidays to look at which segments Amazon is exposing to you. There's no cost on these, right? And prepare some notes to go out that reminds people to come back in. Um, and it's best when you do these, the word of advice also is include an offer. Um, if you don't want to include an offer, don't send just to fill up people's inbox because Amazon will say, if you were sending out a bunch of these and nobody responded to them, we're going to limit your access. And so it's free. You can use it, but use it strategically. Um, and you can get huge value out of it. For your, if you're doing this for the first time, I would include a deal offer in them um, so that you can get a high response rate so you don't get throttled in the future going forward. But I would absolutely use that. What's the name of the... I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the tool, which is terrible. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very generic name, like custom promotion, Amazon custom promotions uh, in there. But, but again, take advantage of those tools, customer offers, and use that direct... Now that Amazon's turned that on, this is, that's new this year, right? Use that heading into the holidays and during the holidays. Yes, 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 yes. Well, like we said, we, lots of just really good stuff here. Good recap of, of some things that happened recently. Lots of good things looking forward here to Q4 and the last things we need to be paying attention to and making sure that we're staying ahead of as we as we move into the, the peak season here. So Tim, thank you as always. Appreciate your insights and, and experience on all this. And thank you to you, the listener. We always appreciate you checking us out. So uh, we will catch you again next time.